Chapter Four of the Haunted Hotel, A Mystery of Modern Venice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kehinde. The Haunted Hotel by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Four. On the day of the marriage, Agnes Lockwood sat alone in the little drawing-room of her London lodgings, burning the letters which had been written to her by Montbarry in the bygone time. The Countess's maliciously smart description of her, addressed to Dr. Wybrow, had not even hinted at the charm that most distinguished Agnes. The artless expression of goodness and purity which instantly attracted every one who approached her. She looked by many years younger than she really was. With her fair complexion and her shy manner, it seemed only natural to speak of her as a girl, although she was now really advancing towards thirty years of age. She lived alone, with an old nurse devoted to her, on a modest little income which was just enough to support the two. There were none of the ordinary signs of grief in her face, as she slowly tore the letters of her false lover in two, and threw the pieces into the small fire which had been lit to consume them. Unhappily for herself, she was one of those women who feel too deeply to find relief in tears. Pale and quiet, with cold, trembling fingers, she destroyed the letters one by one without daring to read them again. She had torn the last of the series, and was still shrinking from throwing it after the rest into the swiftly destroying flame, when the old nurse came in, and asked if she would see Master Henry, meaning that youngest member of the Westwick family, who had publicly declared his contempt for his brother in the smoking-room of the club. Agnes hesitated. A faint tinge of color stole over her face. There had been a long past time when Henry Westwick had owned that he loved her. She had made her confession to him, acknowledging that her heart was given to his eldest brother. He had submitted to his disappointment, and they had met thenceforth as cousins and friends. Never before had she associated the idea of him with embarrassing recollections. But now, on the very day when his brother's marriage to another woman had consummated his brother's treason towards her, there was something vaguely repellent in the prospect of seeing him. The old nurse, who remembered them both in their cradles, observed her hesitation, and, sympathizing, of course, with the man, put in a timely word for Henry. "'He says he's going away, my dear, and he only wants to shake hands and say good-bye.' This plain statement of the case had its effect. Agnes decided on receiving her cousin. He entered the room so rapidly that he surprised her in the act of throwing the fragments of Montbarry's last letter into the fire. She hurriedly spoke first. "'You are leaving London very suddenly, Henry. Is it business or pleasure?' Instead of answering her, he pointed to the flaming letter and to some black ashes of burnt paper lying lightly in the lower part of the fireplace. "'Are you burning letters?' "'Yes.' "'His letters?' "'Yes.' He took her hand gently. "'I had no idea I was intruding on you, at a time when you must wish to be alone. Forgive me, Agnes. I shall see you when I return.' She signed to him with a faint smile to take a chair. 
"'We have known one another since we were children,' she said. "'Why should I feel a foolish pride about myself in your presence? "'Why should I have any secrets from you? "'I sent back all your brother's gifts to me some time ago. "'I have been advised to do more, to keep nothing that can remind me of him, "'in short, to burn his letters. "'I have taken the advice, but I own I shrank a little from destroying the last of the letters.' No, not because it was the last, but because it had this in it. She opened her hand and showed him a lock of Montberry's hair, tied with a morsel of golden cord. Well, well, let it go with the rest. She dropped it into the flame. For a while she stood with her back to Henry, leaning on the mantelpiece and looking into the fire. He took the chair to which she had pointed, with a strange contradiction of expression in his face. The tears were in his eyes, while the brows above were knit close in an angry frown. He muttered to himself, "'Damn him!' She rallied her courage and looked at him again when she spoke. "'Well, Henry, and why are you going away?' "'I am out of spirits, Agnes, and I want a change.' She paused before she spoke again. His face told her plainly that he was thinking of her when he made that reply. She was grateful to him, but her mind was not with him. Her mind was still with the man who had deserted her. She turned round again to the fire. "'Is it true,' she asked, after a long silence, "'that they have been married to-day?' He answered ungraciously in the one necessary word, "'Yes.' "'Did you go to the church?' He resented the question with an expression of indignant surprise. "'Go to the church?' he repeated. "'I would as soon go to—' He checked himself there. "'How can you ask?' he added in lower tones. "'I have never spoken to Montbury. I have not even seen him, since he treated you like the scoundrel and the fool that he is.' She looked at him suddenly, without saying a word. He understood her and begged her pardon— but he was still angry. "'The reckoning comes to some men,' he said, even in this world. "'He will live to rue the day when he married that woman.' Agnes took a chair by his side and looked at him with a gentle surprise. "'Is it quite reasonable to be so angry with her because your brother preferred her to me?' she asked. Henry turned on her sharply. "'Do you defend the Countess of all the people in the world?' "'Why not?' Agnes answered. "'I know nothing against her. "'On the only occasion when we met she appeared to be a singularly timid, nervous person, "'looking dreadfully ill, and being indeed so ill that she fainted under the heat of my room. "'Why should we not do her justice? "'We know that she was innocent of any intention to wrong me. "'We know that she was not aware of my engagement.' Henry lifted his hand impatiently and stopped her. "'There is such a thing as being too just and too forgiving,' he interposed. "'I can't bear to hear you talk in that patient way, after the scandalously cruel manner in which you have been treated. Try to forget them both, Agnes. I wish to God I could help you to do it.' Agnes laid her hand on his arm. "'You are very good to me, Henry, but you don't quite understand me.' 
I was thinking of myself and my trouble in quite a different way when you came in. I was wondering whether anything which has so entirely filled my heart, and so absorbed all that is best and truest in me, as my feeling for your brother, can really pass away as if it had never existed. I have destroyed the last visible things that remind me of him. In this world I shall see him no more. But is the tie that once bound us completely broken? Am I as entirely parted from the good and evil fortune of his life as if we had never met and never loved? What do you think, Henry? I can hardly believe it. If you could bring the retribution on him that he has deserved, Henry Westwick answered sternly, I might be inclined to agree with you. As that reply passed his lips, the old nurse appeared again at the door, announcing another visitor. "'I'm sorry to disturb you, my dear, but here is little Mrs. Ferrari, wanting to know when she may say a few words to you.' Agnes turned to Henry before she replied. "'You remember Emily Bidwell, my favorite pupil years ago at the village school, and afterwards my maid? She left me to marry an Italian courier.' named Ferrari, and I am afraid it has not turned out very well. Do you mind my having her in here for a minute or two? Henry rose to take his leave. I should be glad to see Emily again at any other time, he said, but it is best that I should go now. My mind is disturbed, Agnes. I might say things to you, if I stayed here any longer, which, which are better not said now. I shall cross the channel by the mail tonight and see how a few weeks' change will help me. He took her hand. Is there anything in the world that I can do for you? He asked very earnestly. She thanked him and tried to release her hand. He held it with a tremulous, lingering grasp. God bless you, Agnes, he said in faltering tones with his eyes on the ground. Her face flushed again, and the next instant turned paler than ever. She knew his heart as well as he knew it himself. She was too distressed to speak. He lifted her hand to his lips, kissed it fervently, and, without looking at her again, left the room. The nurse hobbled after him to the head of the stairs. She had not forgotten the time when the younger brother had been the unsuccessful rival of the elder for the hand of Agnes. "'Don't be downhearted, Master Henry,' whispered the old woman, with unscrupulous common sense of persons in the lower rank of life. "'Try her again when you come back.' Left alone for a few moments, Agnes took a turn in the room, trying to compose herself. She paused before a little water-colour drawing on the wall, which had belonged to her mother. It was her own portrait when she was a child. "'How much happier we should be!' she thought to herself sadly, if we never grew up. The courier's wife was shown in, a little meek melancholy woman, with white eyelashes and watery eyes, who curtsied deferentially and was troubled with a small chronic cough. Agnes shook hands with her kindly. "'Well, Emily, what can I do for you?' The courier's wife made rather a strange answer. I'm afraid to tell you, miss. Is it such a very difficult favor to grant? Sit down and let me hear how you are going on. 
Perhaps the petition will slip out while we are talking. How does your husband behave to you? Emily's light gray eyes looked more watery than ever. She shook her head and sighed resignedly. I have no positive complaint to make against him, miss. But I am afraid he doesn't care about me, and he seems to take no interest in his home. I may almost say he's tired of his home. It might be better for both of us, miss, if he went travelling for a while, not to mention the money which is beginning to be wanted sadly. She put her handkerchief to her eyes and sighed again, more resignedly than ever. "'I don't quite understand,' said Agnes. "'I thought your husband had an engagement to take some ladies to Switzerland and Italy.' "'That was his ill luck, miss. One of the ladies fell ill, and the others wouldn't go without her. They paid him a month's salary as compensation. But they had engaged him for the autumn and winter, and the loss is serious.' "'I am sorry to hear it, Emily. Let us hope he will soon have another chance.' "'It's not his turn, miss, to be recommended when the next applications come to the courier's office.' You see, there are so many of them out of employment just now. If he could be privately recommended— She stopped and left the unfinished sentence to speak for itself. Agnes understood her directly. You want my recommendation, she rejoined. Why couldn't you say so at once? Emily blushed. It would be such a chance for my husband, she answered confusedly. A letter inquiring for a good courier. A six-month's engagement, miss, came to the office this morning. It's another man's turn to be chosen, and the secretary will recommend him. If my husband could only send his testimonials by the same post, with just a word in your name, miss, it might turn the scale, as they say. A private recommendation between gentlefolks goes so far. She stopped again, and sighed again, and looked down at the carpet as if she had some private reason for feeling a little ashamed of herself. Agnes began to be rather weary of the persistent tone of mystery in which her visitor spoke. "'If you want my interest with any friend of mine,' she said, "'why can't you tell me the name?' The courier's wife began to cry. "'I'm ashamed to tell you, miss.' For the first time Agnes spoke sharply. "'Nonsense, Emily. Tell me the name directly, or drop the subject, whichever you like best.' Emily made a last desperate effort. She wrung her handkerchief in her lap, and let off the name as if she had been letting off a loaded gun. "'Lord Montbarry!' Agnes rose and looked at her. "'You have disappointed me,' she said very quietly but with a look which the courier's wife had never seen in her face before. Knowing what you know, you ought to be aware that it is impossible for me to communicate with Lord Montbarry. I always supposed you had some delicacy of feeling. I am sorry to find that I have been mistaken. Weak as she was, Emily had spirit enough to feel the reproof. She walked in her meek, noiseless way to the door, I beg your pardon, miss. I am not quite so bad as you think me, but I beg your pardon all the same. She opened the door. Agnes called her back. There was something in the woman's apology that appealed irresistibly to her just and generous nature. 
Come,' she said, "'we must not part in this way. Let me not misunderstand you. What is it that you expected me to do?' Emily was wise enough to answer this time without any reserve. "'My husband will send his testimonials, miss, to Lord Montbarry in Scotland. I only wanted you to let him say in his letter that his wife has been known to you since she was a child, and that you feel some little interest in his welfare on that account. I don't ask it now, miss. You have made me understand that I was wrong.' Had she really been wrong? Past remembrances, as well as present troubles, pleaded powerfully with Agnes for the courier's wife. "'It seems only a small favour to ask,' she said, speaking under the impulse of kindness which was the strongest impulse in her nature. "'But I am not sure that I ought to allow my name to be mentioned in your husband's letter. Let me hear again exactly what he wishes to say.' Emily repeated the words, and then offered one of those suggestions which have a special value of their own to persons unaccustomed to the use of their pens. "'Suppose you try, miss, how it looks in writing.' Childish as the idea was, Agnes tried the experiment. "'If I let you mention me,' she said, "'we must at least decide what you are to say.' She wrote the words in the briefest and plainest form. "'I venture to state that my wife has been known from her childhood to Miss Agnes Lockwood, who feels some little interest in my welfare on that account. Reduced to this one sentence, there was surely nothing in the reference to her name, which implied that Agnes had permitted it, or that she was even aware of it. After a last struggle with herself, she handed the written paper to Emily. "'Your husband must copy it exactly, without altering anything,' she stipulated." On that condition I grant your request. Emily was not only thankful, she was really touched. Agnes hurried the little woman out of the room. Don't give me time to repent and take it back again, she said. Emily vanished. Is the tie that once bound us completely broken? Am I as entirely parted from the good and evil fortune of his life as if we had never met and never loved? Agnes looked at the clock on the mantelpiece. Not ten minutes since, those serious questions had been on her lips. It almost shocked her to think of the commonplace manner in which they had already met with their reply. The mail of that night would appeal once more to Montbarry's remembrance of her in the choice of a servant. Two days later, the post brought a few grateful lines from Emily. Her husband had got the place. Ferrari was engaged, for six months certain, as Lord Montbarry's courier. End of chapter 4 Recording by Gainde of Badrec.com